All right. Well, today, uh, the title I gave the message today is Take Offense Much? Um, and here's what I want to talk about. Our culture literally celebrates being offended. I don't know if you have noticed, but it's, it's, it's literally become a desirable thing to be good at taking offense. And, and I tried to like process, well, where does that come from? Well, in one way, you know, especially in social media, if you are injured, well, then you get to take offense. If you take offense, you're a victim. If you're a victim, you get attention and you get sympathy. That translates into views. That translates into power and foreseen influence. And so people seek to find... Because what happens, just the same reason that the, the, the newspapers tend to give you negative news is people just tend to, to linger longer over scandalous things and, and scary things than they do over the good news. And people have, have created... We're living in a culture... We have to realize... How many of you realize that social media is affecting our culture? Whether we like it or not, it is changing our culture. And this is one of the ways in which our culture is being adjusted. As, and the older we are, the less we probably notice. Or well, I say, the more we notice, the less it would perhaps affect us. But as those younger generations, they're growing up, they don't remember a time when being offended was an undesirable thing. And victimhood wasn't celebrated. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 19.11. It says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let me read that again. It says, A person's wisdom yields patience. In other words, the wiser you are, the more patient you will be. The more wisdom you have the more patience you have on hand. And it says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, for those of us who don't use the word glory very often in our daily life, when it says, it is to your glory to overlook an offense, basically it says, you win, you've done it right, it is a good and admirable thing when you overlook an offense. The scripture is literally telling us the exact opposite of what culture tells us. And I've shared this story on a Wednesday night before, but it fits today, and I'm going to bring it back up. And that is, years and years ago, before I got married, I remember walking through a town in Mexico, and they have these big metal gates, and there are a lot of dogs around. And I was walking with a, a, a lady... A young lady was with me, and we're walking along, and this dog comes running out in front of this metal gate and had no leash, nothing on, and just... Rah, 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 rah. And he just starts running up at us. And, of course, you don't know how far the dog's going to come before he stops when, you know, it's an aggressive dog. So I reached down, and I grabbed a couple of rocks. And most dogs, especially in Mexico, are trained. They understand what this means. Because they've had rocks thrown at them before. And I raised up my arm and he starts slowing down. He barks. And, and I just chucked a rock in his direction and, and grabbed the next one. And it missed the dog, bounced off the ground, and hit a metal gate in front of somebody's house. Well, it just makes a big quang sound when it hits his metal gate. 
and that dog is still there. All of a sudden, the owner comes out from behind that metal gate. It actually had a door in the gate. He pops through that door, and he just starts cussing me out because I threw a rock at his dog and all of this. And so I just kind of stood, stepped in front of, the, well, actually, I think I was already in front of her for the dog's sake, but I just stood in front of the girl that was with me, <clears throat> faced this little man. Now, I'm six foot exactly. He might have been five feet tall. And he is just screaming at me. And I remember thinking, you know, if he's trying to pick a fight with me, that just isn't a good idea. But I just listened, and he, he shouts at me, why would you throw the rocks? You know, the dog was coming at us. He didn't have a leash. You know, if he's a nice dog, I'm happy for you. I just didn't know. I'm sorry that my rock, you know, hit your gate. <clears throat> Hopefully no harm's done. And he's just screaming. He reaches down, grabs a rock, and throws it at us. And he just totally misses. I mean, just off to the side. I was, I was ready to try to, you know, block it or, or something. He just off in left field. And I just stayed calm. He ran out of steam and huffed back into his gate and slammed the gate. And... I don't remember specifically thinking about this verse, but the principle was there. I had just overlooked an offense. I was literally, I remember feeling proud of myself. It's like, yeah, I did it. And I honestly thought, you know what? I did this. I've probably impressed her with my calm demeanor. She got mad at me for not taking out that little guy. Because, you know, he had been aggressive and so in in her mind I should have retaliated I should have taken him down and if he had shouted I should have shouted louder if he had thrown a rock I should have thrown a bigger one if he'd have thrown a punch I should have thrown a harder one and I remember being surprised and realizing you know and this is a this was a, a church person this isn't someone from the world we don't automatically follow the values that scripture gives us unless we choose to do that so if you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and they they you know whatever it is they pass in a no pass lane and then get in front of you and slam on the brakes they do whatever anyway they do wrong i won't use the word offend you but they they do wrong and then you end up next to them at the next stoplight what do you do? Like, what do you do? Do you, do you say to yourself, hey, I have an opportunity now that I didn't have when he was racing past me to give him a few choice words, to send him a few choice signals, to show him how to count? Do you do, you do that? Do you think to yourself, now I have the opportunity? Or do you think to yourself, you know what? It is to my glory to overlook this offense. If I overlook this offense, if I remain calm, if I don't escalate, I'm winning. Last, last week, we talked a little bit about, well, before I mention this, see, culture thinks that calm is weak. 
That is not true. We see Jesus, most powerful man to ever walk the earth, when he was brought before Pilate. And Pilate asked him questions and he didn't respond. They mistook that for weakness. But the Bible says that had he opened his mouth, he could have called armies of angels to come and rescue him. We have to consider how we define a win. Do we let the world define what it means to win? Throw the biggest rock, shout the loudest, swing the hardest? Do we choose to define what it is to win by the, by the culture? By what, what gets us the most views and likes and, and reactions on Facebook or Instagram? Last week we talked about how spirituality is not measured with intellectual capacity. You are not spiritual because of how many sermons you've heard or Christian books you've read. You're spiritual because you obey that which you know God has told you to do. Your obedience is the path to spiritual maturity. I want to offer a personal observation. I believe one of the greatest indicators or fruits of spiritual maturity is being slow to take offense. When we obey what God has placed as the measure in our life, when we choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to follow the world's approach to this, I'm going to, I'm going to consider a calm word, a calm reaction as a win, then we're choosing to obey God. Someone who has patience and who is slow to take offense is likely obedient to God and likely mature in their spiritual walk. When you see somebody who is offended at the drop of a hat, I don't care how many years of, of theological training they claim to have, I question their spiritual maturity right away. In fact, think about a baby for a minute. What do babies do? They make a lot of noise. They complain about everything. A baby is hungry. Wah! A baby is tired. Wah! A baby wants change. Wah! It's all about them. It's all right now. But as they grow in maturity, they learn to delay that gratification. Let's take a look at a few things that offense does. When we take offense... See, offense is one-sided, but maturity recognizes both sides. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And that word cursed really refers to speaking ill of. 
See, an offended person sees someone say something less than kind, ideal about them and immediately just takes offense, never considering that, you know what? It's hard to avoid saying negative things all the time. I've probably said things, if, I, if it was overheard at the wrong moment, that would probably be seen as offensive as well. Let's read that again. It says, don't pay attention to every word people say. In other words, people, be stupid. You be stupid too. Like, everybody makes mistakes. People are going to say that. Don't, don't be that person who's just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing so that you can jump on it. It says, recognize that you yourself sometimes say the wrong thing. Have you ever noticed how often people are offended by the very thing they do? See, offense distracts from yourself by finding in others what you don't want them to see in you. It is extremely common. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, if we are wise, we recognize the more nitpicky I am about others, there is a spiritual law. Someone somewhere will be back and that will increase the judgment and criticism that I receive. And we say, well, I don't think so. I mean, I'm telling, I'm complaining just to my spouse. I'm just complaining to this person, and they're not going to do it. It is a spiritual principle. It says here that for the same way you judge others, you not will, might be, doesn't say might be, doesn't say an increased likelihood of, it says you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye, when all the while there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye that you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If we... When we are offended, we literally become blinded to our side. Another thing, offended people don't, aren't, I should say, offended people aren't trusting God to do what is right and what is needed. Romans chapter 12, 17 through 19 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that's an extremely important little phrase there, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. 
Let's go back to that situation where, where we got cut off by somebody, they totally did us wrong, and then we end up next to them at a really long stoplight. And you're sitting there with all the opportunity in the world. Why do we think that they need to see or hear something from us? Where does that come from? They did something wrong, and we have this sense of, call it justice, that we feel, you know what, they did me wrong. I need to repay, they need to experience. They, they shouted at me, they gave me the finger, I need to give them a finger too. We need to have balance. But here's the thing. God literally told us, he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Why did he say that? Because he wanted to steal all the fun. He didn't want us to enjoy flipping people off on the road. Not at all. You see, God designed us, and he knows that, that when we take on the weight of revenge, especially when it's something more significant than, than a traffic guffaw, we are taking on something we weren't designed to handle. God says, I am. You know, the saying goes that unforgiveness is like trying to kill a rat in your house by burning the house down. You're damaging yourself because we weren't designed to handle it. The Bible says that vengeance is God's. And when we desire, when we think, okay, I have to be the one to do this, what we're really saying is, I don't trust God to deal with that. I don't trust. I got to do it. If I don't see it, if I don't do this quick, that person will drive off, and I'm sure their life will be roses for the rest of their entire born days. If I don't quickly make something, you know, some part of they did their day miserable like they made a part of my day miserable. What are we doing? We're not trusting. And it says, as much as it depends on you. Here's the thing. We underestimate the power of a calm response. I remember when I had first got my driver's license, the first time I encountered somebody with road rage. I was driving a 1986 red and tan Ford Bronco full-size, XTL, I think, five-speed shift, and I was driving to church, but church wasn't located here at the time. It was back uh, where the Jeep dealership is now in a building that no longer exists. And I was driving up there, and I remember, I don't remember exactly what had happened, but I had done something that seriously upset this guy. I don't know if I, you know, pulled out in front of him. I, I honestly don't remember what the offense I committed was. But he was mad. And he was flipping me off and honking at me and followed me right into the parking lot of the church. And I pulled into my parking spot and he jumped out of his car. He came running up there and... <clears throat> I think he said something to the effect, if I hadn't put on the brakes, then we would have been in an accident, blah, 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 and you need to learn to drive, and blah, blah. And I remember telling him, well, thank you for reacting. I'm glad we didn't get an accident. I'm sorry for, for my mistake. And he, blah, 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 and he just shouts and screams, and I just, you know, 
thank you again. I'm so glad, you know, my bad. I'm sorry. And he just ran out of things to shout about. All right, have a good day. (laughs) Off he went. A lot of times we would look at that situation. Somebody comes barreling out of their car, shouting with their veins popping and, you know, one finger sticking out on each hand. And you think that, man, there's no way. It's not within my power. But this is what the Bible says. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Many years ago, I used to work for a a tree service, and one of the things that they would do is go down the power lines um, for miles and remove the trees that had a likely, you know, a possibility of falling against the power line. And so these trees uh, were legally, the, the power company had the legal right to remove them, but in the eyes of all the owners, it's their trees. And technically it was. It's their trees, but the power company has the right to remove them. And so occasionally, an owner would get really, really upset about the trees that were going to come down. And I I remember one guy in particular who had threatened, I mean, these these lumberjacks who worked for the tree service, I mean, we're talking big burly guys with tattoos, wielding chainsaws all day long, and this old man who was like 60s or 70s comes out there, threatens to buy, to, 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 Uh, I don't remember, I don't think that particular guy threatened to shoot them, but he had threatened to call the police, he had threatened to do everything, he was going to sabotage their equipment, he was going to do, I mean, he had just, just screamed like crazy. And I get a call from these guys, he's like, you know what, Um, we just left. They just left the, the equipment parked there, and they just like, can you go down there and talk to him? I went down there, and he is just livid. And I stop and I get there and I'm like, all right, so what seems to be there? They want to cut down these trees. And I'm telling you, 50 years ago when we got this property and my dad had this property and and then there was nothing here and it was just this grace piece of property. And then they put this bomb through here. There was a gas line that went underneath the the thing and he was calling it a bomb. And he just, he was so mad. Really, he was mad at the company for putting the, the line through there 40 years ago. And so I listened just stayed calm pretty soon you know we're all good um he ends up apologizing he says the guys can come in he says you know oh all the trees you know that i pointed out oh yep they can take all of those and then he locked his keys in the car and so then i ended up driving him to his son's work and and he invites me to dinner and i proverbs 15 1 a soft word turns away wrath we would be surprised how often it's actually within our power. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. It is within your power more often than you realize. Psalms 37, verse 7 through 9 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Just go back a bit. Refrain from anger 
and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. I didn't put the scripture in my notes, but there is another scripture that says, the anger of man does not bring the righteousness of God. The question we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that's true? Do we believe that's true? Psychologists say that in many cases, anger is actually a choice we have conditioned ourselves to make. It is a choice that we have told our, we have taught ourselves, this will get me what I want. I will get angry because then people will give in. I will get angry because that's how I will succeed. But the scripture says, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret, it leads only to evil. Either God's right or we're right. Do we dare to redefine what it means to win? To accept that God has a bigger picture of the situation than we do? And if that driver goes off into the sunset without hearing anything negative from you, God will still take care of it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but that's the thing. God plays a long game, and we can trust that he will handle it. Offense blinds us to our own issues. A brother wronged, Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. They are wrong is not an avowed argument. Here's something interesting. I want you to hear this. Being right is dangerous because when you're right, you're tempted not to consider the rest of the situation. When you're right, you think, well, I'm right. Therefore, how I communicate my rightness doesn't matter because I'm right. That's not true. How you communicate what you said can be more important in some cases. Kids do this all the time. And it's a sign of immaturity. How many of you have more than one kid? How many of you ever had this happen at the dinner table? Dad, they had their eyes open during the prayer. Like, they're wrong, therefore, I'm not. Well, they're right. Yeah, they did. But then you say, you know, how do you know? The rest of you got it. <laughs> that was awesome. The first half laughed at the beginning, the second. How did you know? Because you had your eyes open. You had to be wrong in order to, demonstrate, to, to know that they were wrong. When you come in and you find your kids doing something and you say, hey, why did you, you know, eat a cookie I told you you couldn't have? Oh, he ate one first. Well, what is that? It's thinking that, well, if they're wrong, then I'm less wrong. If, if they're wrong, if, if, 
It's immaturity. Now, we grow up, and we don't do it with the eyes closed for the prayer, but we still do it. We still apply that same immature logic to our interactions with our, our coworkers, with our boss, with our spouse. When we're like, well, they're wrong, so however I respond, I'm fine. I'm right, so any reaction I have is justified. No, it's not. That's immaturity. If they did wrong, and you're correct in acknowledging that they were wrong, that doesn't give you license to then berate them, to take offense, to be offended. The Bible says it is your glory to overlook offense. I have written down here, I said, you say something that hurts my feelings, therefore I can say a bunch of things to try to hurt yours, and I'm still the victim. Is a lot of times the perspective, that's, that's not right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 through 3 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Offense destroys unity. Why is unity so important? John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting, God did not say, and they will know you are my disciples because of the fish bumper sticker on your car. They will know that you're my disciples because of where you spend an hour every Sunday morning. That's not it. That's not what differentiates us. Jesus said that we would be known to the world by the love that we express to each other. Now, here's the big question. Are people in love and showing love because their lives are perfect? Or are they displaying love because they have learned not to take offense? See, we get this idea that, well, I'll, I'll love somebody when they're perfect towards me. I'll treat the world fine when, when they treat me fine. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, in Matthew 5, verse 38 through 48, it says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If one, some, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with them too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, he says, you know what? You're so obsessed with whether the world is fair. Yeah, God, 
causes rain to fall on the crops of both the good and the bad. And then he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If we're waiting around to be treated perfectly, to respond perfectly, the Bible says, wait a minute, the tax collectors, that was like the scum of the earth. Those were the people who literally made their living by how much they cheated people. He said, even the biggest cheaters you know of are nice to the people who are nice to them. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God says, value unity. Treat others with love. Why? Because that is what I've called you to do. That is what I want to set you apart. People will notice when you pull up next to them. Now, I, I admit I am a somewhat aggressive driver. In other words, I don't stay in one lane. If I see that that lane's going faster, I move over, and then I ride that lane. And if this one slows down, I move over. I, I use my turn signal. I don't try to cut people off. But I'm aggressive within the bounds of hopefully good driving. But I can admit, there have been times... That was my brother who was laughing back there. There have been times when I realized to myself, you know what? I think I might have a little bit cut that person off. And then I dread the red light that I see coming. And I pull up. And I've been in that place where i like, you know what? They might not like the fact that, whatever, I merged into their lane. And then I have to pull up. And I think to myself, how are they going to treat me? Are they, you know, are they going to give me the finger? Are they going to do that? And when I look over, and they're just fine, it's like, wow. You know, a weight lifts. Have you ever been in that situation where you recognize, you know what, I may have done something to offend, and then the people choose not to be offended? Do you remember how that felt? See, God says, that's what will separate us. When people, when the world sees us choosing to respond out of love instead of others. Leviticus 19 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. See, we have this natural tendency to judge other people by their actions and us by our intentions. Well, I didn't intend to cut you off. I just, you know, your lane was moving faster and there was a space bigger than my car, so I got in it. I wasn't upset with you. I wasn't trying to. I, mean, I can see that. I, I judge me by my intentions. But when I'm the one there and somebody whoop, slips into that spot in front of me and I just didn't happen to believe that it was big enough to merit that move, I judge them by their actions. I judge me by my intentions. Right? God, God says even more. He says, I call you 
to champion unity, even at the cost of your rights. We talked a few weeks back about Romans 14. It says, let us therefore make effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. This is the chapter where they were talking to the people who were all up in arms back and forth over the spiritual contagion of food sacrificed to idols. And some part of the church said, you know what? If, a, if food has been offered at one of the pagan temples and then it goes to, for sale at the grocery mart, we can't buy that food. We can't eat that food because that food is contaminated with demonic oppression somehow and there's a spiritual contagion on that and we can't have that in our house. That would hurt us. And other people said, greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. No problem. I can eat that meat or any other meat. I'll just bless it and eat it. So, the early church was all worked up about an invisible contagion. Sound familiar? And some people thought, it's okay. I don't have to worry. Other people thought, it's a big deal. And Paul told them, he said, you know what? Those of you who realize that you have power over those demons and that they don't belong, you're the ones who are right. But... Instead of telling the people who were concerned about the invisible spiritual contagion, tough it up, you're wrong, he didn't. He turned to the people who were right and said, now, if I was you, I wouldn't even eat the meat because I don't want to cause them to stumble. He said, be willing to give up even your own rights for the sake of unity. Wow. Wow. He says, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. You catch that? He says, you're right, you can't eat anything, but don't. Because when you offend them, you've done something wrong. Even though the thing you did wrong isn't the thing they thought you were doing. It wasn't contaminating yourself with spiritual contagions. What you did wrong was not caring about unity, being unwilling to bend for their benefit. It says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble. So whatever you believe about these things, keep that between yourself and God. Whew. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. I know for me, I have gone back to this chapter over and over during all of this COVID thing and when we have different opinions within the church about what we should and shouldn't do and how we should and shouldn't act and do I have the liberty to, to, to do this and do I not have the liberty to do that and, and is the contagion that, you know, do I, how do I have to treat it and I have to realize, you know what? No matter where I stand on that spectrum, God's call is that I need to be conscientious of those who are that direction from me. I'll wear a mask even when I'm not as concerned. Why? Because I want that for them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do like Paul was saying. I don't want to put a stumbling block. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Well, I'm going to close with that. I just want to encourage you. 
Think about how you define a win in your life. When there is an injury, when there is some opportunity to take offense, how have you allowed God to define what the win looks like in that situation? Or do you pat yourself on the back when you were the loudest, threw the biggest rock, swung the hardest punch? Have you bought in to that concept that it's us personally who needs to take vengeance and not trust it to God? If we, as a church body, begin to walk out that love and that value of unity and we redefine what it is and we embrace what God said, that it is our glory to overlook offense and we cultivate that patience and we obey God in that, I believe that our spiritual potency and our spiritual maturity will vastly increase. I believe our influence with others will significantly grow. Why? Because that's what makes you the salt and the light. The Bible says that when the salt loses its saltiness, when the, the contrast of the salt to the food is no longer there, what good is it? Our call, we are called to be a light, to be salt, to respond differently, to value unity, to value patience, to respond with a calm word. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray your blessing on every person here. Lord, I understand for some of us, we have had those values for some time. For others of us, this is a shift. This is new. Lord, I ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, quicken us and remind us in those moments. Bring these scriptures to our heart in those moments when we have an opportunity to take offense and we can remember, no, there is a better way, a way that leads to a better result. I just pray that blessing. I pray that wisdom. I pray the Holy Spirit's voice would speak and remind each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God and you're on your way to heaven, I want to ask you to just raise your hand. I'm so happy for you. Hands up all over. If you heard that and you thought, well, I hope I am, but I don't know. The Bible actually says know that you have salvation. It doesn't say hope. It says know. How do you know? Romans 10, 9 and 10 explains it. It says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What is that? We're acknowledging that we have sin. We're acknowledging that Jesus lived a perfect life and died to pay for that sin and that he rose from the dead. When we accept that forgiveness, God says he wipes away our guilt and makes us right with him. And that seals our future in heaven. If you want to do that, I want to invite you to pray the prayer that we just heard described in that verse. I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat with me. If you're at home, you can do this right from where you are. 
God's listening, it's not me. So here we're going to do, say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you lived a perfect life, but chose to take my place. I believe you rose from the dead, and I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.